Hey, my friends, what's going on? Welcome again to the Everyday Missionary Podcast. My name is Matt Boswell, the host of this podcast, and this is episode 201. And uh, last week we crested into 200 as we crested into the north of 100 degree temperatures. We did it. Greater Seattle area, Pacific Northwest, Washington, Oregon. We beat some records. See, number one, man, we're number one now. We will be remembered forever. You lived a moment in history that if things continue to go the way they're going, we'll just break that record next year, which kind of stinks, but it's not what I'm here to talk about today. In fact, what I'm here to talk about today is a continuation of episode 200. And it wasn't my plan necessarily. That wasn't my kind of objective to be like, hey, let's take this question of, quote, free will and make it a series. Well, I don't think it's going to be a series, but it definitely is going to receive a follow-up um, because I certainly had input from last week and and some of that input was incredibly thankful and none of the input was negative, by the way. Uh, some of the input was just more like, huh, what do I do with that? Or, well, what about this nuance? Or what about that nuance? Or uh, what about accountability? How are we held accountable for our decisions that weigh the balance of kind of eternity if we don't actually have a free will to have the volition to make the decisions to be held accountable for? Like that was some of the stuff that kind of uh, was, was kind of pushed my direction from different people. And I totally understand that. And so I'm going to revisit this topic from a slightly different angle. But before I do so, I, I want to clarify something. Maybe I'm going to clarify a couple of things by the end of this. Um, the first of all, or the first thing I want to clarify is that I'm not putting this out there for clarity, which sounds kind of funny because uh, typically we gravitate toward clarity. Yet as a student of the Bible, I find that so often there is not clarity. And yet part of the danger sometimes, even where many of the heresies that have been born out of the church were born, was out of this quest for clarity where God is a bit opaque. See, I think God sometimes likes to keep things a bit obscure, to keep certain elements a bit hidden so that we stay humble, that we're reminded of grace, that we don't get too much hubris, and then we just kind of put up our hands and go, I don't know what to do with that. I just know it's stuff and tension, and I'm okay with that. And from that, I'm not a know-it-all. Like, I think that's what we should be doing. But I think we, especially as Westerners, want this airtight argument for everything. And I don't believe the Bible nor the Christian faith offers airtight arguments. I think it offers this crazy notion called faith, right? Faith is not an airtight fact. Faith is this thing where you um, have enough evidence to kind of reasonably see what the picture is, but it doesn't tell you everything about everything unless you move in faith. Like that's kind of what it's about. Um, but we want everything to be really conclusive. And so when we get into topics of where does free will exist and not exist? And how does this play in belief and everything else and doubt and disbelief? Uh, again, I get it. We want this sense of certainty, but God is wise enough or kind enough, or at least he is trying to do something in us enough that he says, yeah, I'm just not going to give you the, the ability to do that, which is why I'm always somewhat hesitant of my fundamentalist friends, because I think what fundamentalism so often wants to do is to remove all mystery, to create nothing but certainty, to state it as a fact. And if you don't agree with them, then somehow you're the heretic for it. And yet, like I said, the early church at times tried to ping down to precision and in the process of that created heresies. And that's just not my thing, right? So uh, first of all, I just want you to know that as I deal with the topic both last week and this week, it's not about clarity. 
In fact, if anything, it's about mystery. And I think that's okay. That's the first thing. The second thing I want to say, and this one's probably going to be the thing that gets me more in trouble than even anything I say after this as it relates to the topic. But I want to be clear that I think God hints at certain things or says certain things or frankly that God flat out states factually certain things does not mean I always agree with those things that are stated, hinted at, or flatly told as truth. Like, that's a weird one, I know, because you're like, no, but you're a pastor and everything God says you must agree with. No, I don't always agree with that. Now here, let me be clear about this, that I don't agree doesn't mean that I'm right and God is wrong. That I don't agree means there is this thing in me that says, I wouldn't do it that way. I'm not sure I'd process it that way. I'm not sure I'd execute it that way. But still, I'm not God. I'm just a human being that's wrestling with what God says. And while I wouldn't do it that way and I disagree with God, I'm still saying God is right. I'm just saying this thing in me, which Again, kind of comes back to this free will versus the absence of free will. My disagreement is sort of an emotional disagreement. Now, my mind can say, I accept that truth, right? So in my quote, will, I can accept the truth, but more deeply, it does not mean that I'm comfortable with that truth or that I love that truth or that I appreciate that truth or that I, I'm so grateful that that is the only truth that is in the universe. Like I go like, no, there's this deeper part of me at times that is a little repulsed by certain truths of God. God. I'm not saying they're not true or he's not right. I'm just saying I struggle with that. And so why do I struggle with that? If my mind can say, I accept this as truth, why are my emotions or this deeper thing inside of me? Why is it wrestling with this idea? I don't know, right? I don't know why that deeper thing can't always get in alignment with my mind as much as on the flip when I'm struggling with a doubt or whatever else, I'm having problems. That's a deeper thing in me, even though in my intellectual space, I'm putting the pieces together. There's still this unease at times or at other times I find a tremendous sense of peace and ease in things that are mysterious and I don't understand and they don't always seem to harmonize and it seems like a contradiction, but I can go like, nah, I'm okay with that. Why am I okay with some contradictions, but not okay with other contradictions? I don't know, right? So my point, again, to try to bring this back to center, is as we're talking about this, I don't think we should live under the illusion that everything should be nice and tidy. I don't think it's even healthy for Christianity to try to make it sound like if you're not on board with everything deeply, personally, spiritually, emotionally, then somehow you're broken because some of the deepest stuff that is in us, we really just don't have a lot of jurisdiction over. As I shared last week, I think we can feed things more or we can starve things more. Both are helpful. Feeding and starving can be helpful. Just as much to the human body that fasting can be helpful and feeding can be helpful. We can fast or feed certain ideas or ideologies in our life and it might kind of fuel some of that underlying engine to some degree. But that underlying engine is still just out of reach of our full control. And that's why I'm saying that underlying engine, which I believe drives most everything else, right? That is slightly beyond our pure volition. It's slightly beyond our free will. Now, let me try to jump back into the topic now uh, based on a little bit of what I heard last week. And I think some of the... um, it's hard for me to even call it what it is because it wasn't critique. It wasn't criticism. It wasn't pushback at all. I mean, everybody was so incredibly awesome on such a difficult topic. I think it was just more like, 
hmm, what about, or hmm, I just, ah, there's a tension. I go, right, I know, I feel that tension all the time, so I get you. So we're all in the same kind of boat, right? It's a pickle that we're in, and we don't adequately solve it, and frankly, it's not really solvable in many, many respects. But but here's what I want to kind of look at from a different point of view, because I think at the center of what the kind of the, ah, what about this thing is this idea of how can we be held accountable for our belief and disbelief if belief and disbelief isn't within the control of our free will. Um, I'm going to start at the beginning of you for a minute. And and what I'm going to share is a little bit odd, but I think it's pretty airtight from a Bible perspective. Now, I, mean, I know some philosophers are going to want to debate this. Some social scientists may want to debate this. I get this. But hopefully, you'll give me a little bit of latitude for a minute to, to operate within a theological structure. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to say something that is um, considered to be basic Christian orthodoxy. If you're listening and you're like, man, I'm not a fan of Christian orthodoxy or I don't fully buy into it, it's totally fine. But I'm going to start from that place and then kind of move out from there. So uh, in basic Christian orthodoxy, here's what it tells us. You were born a disbeliever, right? So you were actually brought forth into the world in a state of disbelief. Now, we might give that a little bit different vernacular attached to that. So we would say you were born sinful. You were born with a sin nature. You were born under the conditions of the curse of the fall. But at its core, what that means is you were born a disbeliever. And in that, here's what this also means. It means the Bible considers you to be a sinner. We're going to use that word for a minute. Not by way of the fact that you sin and therefore you earn the label sinner, but rather what the Bible says is that you are declared a sinner. And because you're declared in that fashion, you thus sin. So it's not that the act or the volition of sin makes you a sinner, but rather what the Bible confirms and affirms is that you are actually a sinner and consequently you operate from what you are and you sin. So it's not sin gives you the label, but you have the label and thus you sin. So when it comes to the chicken and the egg, before you ever had a single act of decision making to be sinful, you are already in a state of sin. In other words, before you ever had this decision to make between am I a believer or a disbeliever, the Bible says you were a disbeliever. Therefore, your disbelief is not a free will decision you make. It is something you are inherently born with. So the way the story starts for you and I is that we didn't have a decision. We were simply this way. It is not an act of volition. It is a deeper thing within you. It is a part of this kind of intuitive psyche element. And thus you see it, like I'm watching it right now with my granddaughter who is close to a year and a half old. And that that kind of nature of no, mine, uh-uh, no, no, mama, like all of those things, it's not that we go, oh, she's making the conscious volition, volition or the conscious decision rather to uh, do a sinful action. No, it's just inside her, Right. It's not a part of her free will. It's this instinct that then erupts into the sense of her perceptions in life. And then she acts on that instinctual thing by saying she wants to do her thing, not mama or dada's thing, right? Like that's what's kind of going on. And then that just gets more advanced as we get older because we're able to develop cognitive ability and problem solving skills and we could get smarter in our deceptions and everything else. But that's what it is. But all of that is kind of generated by this underlying thing that has nothing to do with your freedom of choice in that. You're just operating in an instinctual sort of way and you're 
your brain gets really good at how to utilize that instinct, right? That's kind of what I'm getting at here. And I know for some, you're like, I'm already feeling uncomfortable. I go, right, I get it. You're totally free to feel uncomfortable, but all of the evidence and your experience proves this to be true, right? So this is what we're contending with, right? So in that sense, it's really tough, I think, from a theological perspective to understand then how is it that God holds us accountable for actions and more deeply intuitions when we never made this open choice to gravitate to those intuitions from the beginning? Rather, they were just embedded into us apart from us welcoming or re- rebelling or retracting those types of things. Like that, that's part of this challenge that we, again, are facing. So with that, you were not born with the choice to choose sin. You were born in a way that you had no choice but to sin. So you didn't have a choice starting off. So that's why then I kind of fast forward and then I get to this point later down the road where I look at us and I go, well, if, if we didn't have the, the choice to disbelieve, then how much do we really have the free will choice to believe? And how would I access that free choice to believe? And that's where, again, in my best estimation, I'm not really sure that's the case. And, and that kind of goes back to last week's podcast. And so I don't want to tread that ground all that much, right? But this is why I think belief and disbelief are better relegated to categories uh, that are just slightly outside of the realm of cognitive decision-making and more in the realm of intuitive, emotional, intuition type of thinking or feeling or processing. Something just slightly like beyond the reach of our brain being able to control those things. And so... In the same way that I would say, um, let me use a different illustration, but I would say um, color is a thing where I didn't choose that green or yellow is my favorite color, where, you know, maybe like reds are less my favorite color. Like I didn't choose, I cognitively go like, well, as I'm looking at the palette of, you know, all the hues in the universe, this is what my, my, my emotions gravitate to or gravitate gravitate away from like I didn't it's not what happened I just like I just like green I don't like red as much right I I don't know why I don't like arugula right because I don't but there's other flavors I very much enjoy like Tillamook cheese one of my favorite things like why is it that my palate loves Tillamook cheese but is repulsed by arugula but my wife who I'm very close to loves arugula like I didn't make the decision to not like arugula there's something deeper in me that did that or let's get even more intimate and personal there are certain characteristics in people that you are attracted to or certain characteristics in people where you are drawn to those characteristics. But then there are other things where you're repelled by those things. And then you find it strange that you have friends that are attracted to the things that repel you and they're repelled by the things that attract you. You're not making free will decisions where you're like, uh, I don't like being around a jokey person versus I love being around a jokey person. Like that's just something deeper inside of you that you don't have a lot of jurisdiction over, right? And so many Many of the things that most make us tick, oddly enough, are not things that we consciously decided on, but rather we're drawn to or drift from certain things. And so in the same way, what I'm saying is intimate things like faith or intimate things like religion, intimate things like our visions of God and humanity, these things are probably slightly out of the reach of our clear volition. 
Now, again, like I said, there are choices that get made in the context of some of that, but there is still this sense in which there is a tension involved. Let me show where this tension comes out a little bit differently, going back to this idea that we're all born as disbelievers. We're all born in that state, but not all of us struggle with our disbelieving propensities in the same ways. So let me go back to this idea of the disbelief element is then the sin element. And we all are going to struggle with sin, but not all of us struggle with the same sins. Not all of us are tempted by the same things. And the things that we're tempted by, it's not an act of the free will that says, I'm going to choose to be tempted by lust, or I'm going to choose to be tempted by greed, or I'm going to be tempted to choose, or I'm going to choose to be tempted by money. No, here's what happens. There are some things that don't affect me. Like, let me give you an example. Here's something that's true of me. I am not easily offended. I'm just not. I'm not offended by people. I'm not offended by ideas. I'm not offended by actions. I'm not offended. I'm just, there is just something in me that I, I, I'm, it's very hard to get me offended. It is very hard to get me to yell. It's very hard to get me to fight. Like that is just, you know, when somebody does something, the last thing I'm tempted to do is that, right? But for others of you, you're like, no, I'm easily offended. I am always ready for a fight. I get hot fast. Well, here's the thing. When you do that, when that trigger is pulled, are you in your right mind making a conscious decision that says, I need to right now push the button on anger, rage, and offense. And then from that, I'll feel those emotions and I'll act on those things. And I'll say things that I just want to say in the moment. Like that's not how it works. Something just erupts in you, right? outside of your control over it, and then you begin to act and react. Now, in there, you may learn tools to dial that back, or you might not have the tools, and you might drive it up, but it starts, the rocket is launched, because something in you pushes the button, and it's not your rational, logic, clear-thinking part of your brain, your will part, that's doing the pushing. It's something else, right? But then for another person, it may be a different thing. And so this is why, again, when somebody may struggle in a certain area, that struggle, what makes it real, what makes that temptation real, what creates the push-pull of the temptation is the fact that there is this other something, right, that's jamming it to the forefront of your mind and wanting you to do it. But then if you're trying to kind of live like within a Christian framework, for example, and you want to honor kind of what you perceive to be the ethics of the Bible, you're then using your volition to push back on this thing. But that thing is pushing forward and challenging your conscious mind, right? What is that thing pushing? And why can't you just shut down the push? If you have free will, if you had total unilateral free will, don't you think you could just simply say, I'm going to close the door on that temptation. It's gone. I don't think about it anymore. It's, it's just finished. I have, I feel no pressure, no temptation. It's like shutting a window on a cold day. I closed it. Now it's fine in here, but that's not how it works, right? Because we don't have full jurisdiction over the full function of our brain when it comes to temptation versus resistance to temptation. Otherwise you could shut it down. So, all of this to say that this notion then of free will is far more complicated than the way I think we try to then pitch it in our real world circumstances when we go, hey, everybody's got to make a decision when it regards God. Everybody's got to make a decision for the gospel. It's either yes or no, you believe or you disbelieve. And I go, if I believed everybody had just that simple ability to say yes 
or no, I believe or I disbelieve, that would be great. But none of the evidence in real life practice fully points in that direction. I'm not saying it completely negates it, but I'm also saying it doesn't completely verify it. There is a mystery and a tension related to this. In fact, let me use a different kind of parallel. Because I think we run around, we do think like, oh, okay, everybody's accountable to God for whether they believe or disbelieve. And I'm like, yeah, kind of. But there's also things in there where I think God has to do things to trigger belief and disbelief. And those are beyond the scope of the person. Because here's an odd third category um, that you see certainly in the Gospels. The odd third category is a group of people who of their cognitive volition claim belief But Jesus says, you don't truly believe, and therefore, you're estranged from God, which is pretty much all the religious establishment. So now, the complication is there are people who say, I believe, but deep down inside, they don't really believe. And in that, God doesn't go, oh, good enough. No, what Jesus continues to say is you call me Lord, Lord, and you say we did this in your name and we did that in your name. And so clearly they're putting belief in their cognitive reasoning kind of category. He says, yeah, but that deeper thing in you doesn't. And because the deeper thing is missing, the volition thing is insufficient. Now, again, I know that makes a lot of us uncomfortable. Here's what I want to just give as a quick disclaimer. I don't want you to take that statement and be like, now am I truly saved? Do I know if I'm really saved? How do I know if I'm really saved? I I think that's an act of futility. I, I think this is where grace is so good. This is why I think the mission of God to reclaim all things is probably one of the most powerful promises that we need to trust. And we need to trust in the grace of God and the kindness of God and the love of God and everything else. And so do yourself a favor. Do not torture yourself over this idea of, am I truly a believer because I say it, but do how much do I feel it? Do I feel it enough to validate that I say it? That's not my point. I'm using this illustration simply to say belief isn't as simple as a cognitive affirmation. And if it's something that's more than a cognitive affirmation, but it's not something that's connected to our full volition, then it is something deeper beyond us that we don't understand and click tilt mystery again. So again, I know this does not bring resolve. It does not give the sense of, oh, conclusiveness. Matt, is it free will or God's sovereignty? Is it us or him? Is it deeper or more of a shallow intellectual thought? Yes, no, maybe tilt again. Like that's kind of the point I'm getting at, which is why then I think it's important for us to maintain a level of humility and a level of understanding that we don't fully understand, right? Because I think that's the space that God wants us to inhabit. And so when we run around and we say, hey, people have a free will choice to make, I go, well, some in Jesus' day, quote, made the free will choice, but they didn't have the deeper intuition thing going with it. And therefore, he says, you don't really know me. But part of that is hard because how could they even tap into that deeper intuition thing if it's beyond the scope of our volition? I don't know. I don't know. Can I tell you one of the most freeing things in turning 50 years of age is you actually feel comfortable finally saying, I don't know. Right? Before that, you're, when you're young, you have to have an answer for everything. And you have to say, I know, I know every single fact, and every single point, And I can make all of this theology just knit together in this tidy little bow that nobody can question. Now I'm 15. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Right. But I think in that, what then it kind of just causes me to do is say, God, I don't know. 
I don't know how it works, but I just kind of trust you in that. And in there, again, as I shared last week, there's some tension. I go, God, I trust you, even though I don't always fully agree with you. That's even what I'm starting this podcast with. Like, I'm going to trust you in my volition, even though my deeper belief emotion thing is wrestling with that. And I'm going to say, you're God and I'm not, but I'm not always comfortable deep internally with that response. And so my act of obedience is to say, all right, you win, I lose. But God, you also know I believe, but help my unbelief. That's that's that tension of that father that comes to Jesus and Jesus says, do you believe I can do it? And he says, I believe, but help my unbelief. This is that strata issue I'm dealing with here where it's like one part of me can believe and another part of me struggles with disbelief. And the part that's the disbelief struggle is not my brain saying, go ahead, Matt, disbelieve. You want to disbelieve. I know you're tempted to believe, but don't just keep disbelieving. That's not how this works, Right. The, the things that I do not want to do, right? Those are those things that want to force their way to the surface. And then I have to try to use my mind to tamp it down as much as possible. But it's a push-pull all the time, right? All the time. And so this is where we continue to wrestle and to battle and to struggle and to trust and to grow and hopefully to show one another grace in the process of that. Because I think all of it, again, just highlights that reality that we must show grace in this. We must show humility in this. We must say, you know what? I know less than half of everything and that's okay. Because I think the more we do that and the more we reveal that disposition to the world, the more we will be uh, helpful, functional, and compassionate everyday missionaries.